0: All right, Joshua 22. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Joshua 22, I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 9. So we have some of the context. This is the end of the allotment, and they're sending the last tribes over, back over the Jordan. But as we read it, we get to verse 5. Verse 5 becomes a template. I'm going to spend most of my time today in verse 5. So we'll read for the context and then go into verse 5. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. <clears throat> At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gedites and the half tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as He promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan." Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Now, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver and gold and bronze and iron and with much clothing Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh turned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. Father, I pray you would use this to draw men and women to yourself. In this congregation this morning, our sons and daughters of God, by the blood of Jesus, that somehow feel estranged. And Lord, I pray that today would be a day of of making right that relationship, even as we look forward to the Lord's Supper. God, I pray the next few moments might be preparatory, getting our hearts right to celebrate what you've given us in Jesus on the cross it's in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In the early fall of 1945, the greatest armed conflict that America had ever been in came to an end. May of 45 was VE Day, victory over Europe. August the 15th was VJ Day, victory over Japan what would be known as World War II, was over. All those American soldiers that had made war were now coming home to make peace. And the greatest generation, as they came to be called, gave rise to the boomer generation. Here in the United States of America, our country experienced unprecedented Growth. In similar fashion, we get to Joshua 22, seven years of fighting come to an end. And the Israelites are now going to beat their swords into plowshares. They're headed back to their land, to what they've conquered. You might remember last week we had chapter 14 and Caleb. What a great story. Caleb. After Caleb got his mountain, Joshua starts taking the land now that they've conquered and he starts to distribute it in earnest. When You get to chapter 15, you can go there if you'd like. Chapter 15 and 16 and 17, the allotment of all the land begins. Get to chapter 18 and there in chapter 18 they pause at a place called Shiloh. They set up the tent of meeting and there they surround it and and worship in the presence of the Lord. Chapter 19 the inheritances, they start again. You see all the lists of the tribes and where they're going to be. Chapter 20 is the cities of refuge that strangely never get used. Chapter 21, although the Levites really don't have an allotment they are at least given a town where they can raise the cattle and And when we get to chapter 22, it's where we are today. The very last group to be dispatched after all this war is a group that takes us all the way back to Joshua chapter 1. You see, this group's inheritance is not there in the promised land. This this group has their inheritance on the other side of the river. The Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You might remember back in chapter 1, they pledged. They said, okay, even though ours is over here, we promised to go out here with all of our brothers. We pledged to fight until everybody has what is theirs. Get to chapter 22, that's happened. Everybody has their land except the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then in chapter 22, that's where we are. I'm just sort of bringing you up to speed. Chapter 22, we start in verses 1, 2, and 3. There Joshua starts commending. You can just read it. He commends those tribes for their faithfulness, for doing what they said they were going to do. Chapter 3, he commends them for staying there and fighting a long battle for many days. And then in verse 4, verse 4, he says that Look, God has been good to us. He's been good to you. And Joshua honors the name of the Lord in verse 4. You are free to go back to your homes. And then in verse 5, that's where we're going to be. Joshua gives some specific instructions because they are not going to be with the rest of Israel. They're going to be on the other side of the Jordan that you'll find out gets them in trouble. And and Joshua gives them them instructions in verse 5. And to me, when I read it, <clears throat> verse 5 stands out like a neon sign. In fact, I think the whole message of the whole chapter, chapter 22, is wrapped up in one verse, verse 5. One preacher said that all those verbs, and there are five of them, and you'll see those are the points I have, all those verbs give a comprehensive picture of what a proper relationship to God ought to look like. And the more I looked at it, and that's what I've been doing this week, the more I looked at this one verse, the more I agreed. So today, before we take the Lord's Supper, and Kyler will lead us in that in a little while, before we take the Lord's Supper, I want to use verse 5 as a verse to prepare our hearts By way of examination. So here's what I'm going to do by structure. I'm going to take the verbs. There are five of them found in verse 5. And I'm going to take the verbs and I'll use those verbs as the basis for questions. So we'll take the commands and ask questions. Because I'm convinced a right relationship with God is all that matters. Let's ask the first question. If that's the, tr- if that's the case, let's ask the question, do you love God? I mean, do you really love God? I mean, more, more than just the fact that you will say that you love God, is there evidence that you love God? It, it seems to be that that is the command from Joshua right there in verse 5. Joshua says in verse 5, Only be careful to observe the commandment of the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God. First commandment in verse 5 is to love the Lord your God. This is similar to what you find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what is known as the Shema, as you're called to love the Lord your God. This is the thing Jesus would say. We know what is the great commandment, that you are to love the Lord your God. Why? Because love is a great motivator. Love is something that pushes us forward. Love is this... um, this displayed and dynamic affection. Love gives intensity to the passages. In fact, you read Genesis and and the author, uh, Moses, when he gives us Genesis, and he calls our attention to the test that Abraham went into, Genesis 22, when God calls Abraham into this, it's intensified because God says, take now your son, your only son, the one you love. Paul knew that as he described uh, what it means to actually love God. This gives heat to what Paul would say in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what Paul's saying there is the gospel is our motivation to walk in love the gospel is jesus giving himself up let's, let's give the explicit gospel the explicit gospel is that god is holy and we are sinners that sin has separated us from god to the degree that we are not only far away from god we are under condemnation without christ The problem that we have is not that we are sick or depressed or sad or alone or alienated. Those are symptoms of the larger problem, which is sin that has us under the wrath of God. That's the problem we have. But God is not just just and a judge. He is also loving. God in His love gives us Jesus. Jesus being fully God and fully man, lived perfectly, goes to the cross, and there at the cross, He becomes the substitute. So He takes the sin Of all the sinners that will be saved, He takes their sin and gives them His righteousness so that... And here's how you apply the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. You see yourself as a sinner and Jesus dying for you. You believe that, turn from your sin, ask God to save you based on what Jesus has done, and He saves you out of love. And, and, And we then can love God, John tells us this, because He first loved us the reason i love god is not because i'm so good it's because i was so bad and god showed his grace to me in jesus and now caused me to love him and the love the love is to give to 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 love someone is to give to love is to enjoy to love is to believe to love God is to trust. To, to love is to be content in. To love, to love God is to, to be grateful. To love God is to be humbled by the fact that He would love you. To love is to understand grace. To love is to be worshipful, to, to come in expressively, to, to, to love is to actually then be a person of grace. You know one of the greatest things that help you with patience is when you start developing an understanding of your own sin and what it took for God to save you and the amount of grace it took to save you will then reflect on how you will be gracious to other people. To to love is is to forgive, to extend kindness to people, to, to give the benefit of the doubt. To, to love God is to live in hope. And so the first real question based on verse 5 when Joshua told these tribes going on the other side of the Jordan is do you actually love God? And and, and if you do, why do you love God? And if you do, how are you actually loving God? Do you Love God. That's the first question that you might want to use to examine your soul as we get ready for the Lord's Supper. Let me give you another one from the passage. And that is, do you honor God? Honor God. Does your life, does it look like you actually are child of God? Go back with me to verse 5 and I'm sure where I get that. Notice what the text says. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, that's the first one, and to walk in His ways. To walk, that's where I get the word honor, to, to have a lifestyle that reflects that. All throughout the Bible, when you see someone talk, when you see the Bible talking about someone's walk, it normally is referring to their relationship to God. To walk would indicate a lifestyle in Genesis. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Walk. Someone's, we, we even use that now in our own vernacular. A reputation. A general feel. The general, the general impression that you get from someone after having spent some time with them where you can now develop a general impression about that person. Walk. It's what, um, it's what Paul had in mind been using Ephesians a lot today, but the, the writings of Paul, most of the New Testament, the writings of Paul gives a, give us some of our, our greatest pinpoint theology and in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul is talking in a negative sense about what it was like to not be a christian here's how he, he talked about a walk or a manner of life. this is what he said Ephesians two verses one and two and you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived, walk to live. It's a manner of life. It's a, it's a tone of who you are, your walk. What it looks like to actually be with you for a couple of days or, or weeks, To get to know you as a person, would that person that is getting to know you say he walks with the Lord? To to experience the real you and not the Instagram you. you. You know what happens here? Here begins the separation. And I think it's a right separation and we need to look at it more and more. Here begins the separation between a genuine Christian and someone seeming to be a Christian. I, I'm afraid that there are so many people <clears throat> that have a faith in Jesus that is not a saving faith in Jesus. A faith in Jesus that you are depending on to get you to heaven, if that faith in Jesus is not strong enough to be reflected in your life, then there's no reason for you to think that faith in Jesus is going to get you to heaven. There's, there's a saving faith in Jesus and then there's a believing in Jesus for some sort of fire insurance. And, and Joshua, Joshua is setting that up. He's telling those that are going to the other side of the Jordan, make sure that you actually are walking with God, that you are honoring God, that there is actual, seeable, tangible evidence that you are a Christian. Now, I, honestly, I think this, is, um, this now becomes the... I feel a certain responsibility. As the pastor of Hickory Grove Baptist Church... The responsibility is a shepherd of those that God has given us. The way we know who God has given us as the church are members of this church. And then to go down the, the roll of Hickory Grove and know that there are thousands of people whose names are actually on the roll at Hickory Grove that are giving no, there's no indication whatsoever that she's walking with God at all. It is a scary thing to call yourself a believer and actually have no evidence of it. That's why I think the question, maybe you should hear it. I think the question is an appropriate one. Do you walk with God? Are you honoring God? To walk with someone, is he, is he your constant companion? The Bible says a friend, a brother that is a friend that sticks closer than a, a brother is he the forgiver of your soul and the comforter of your life it it scares me for people to think they are technically a christian because they got baptized or joined a church but actually are never converted do you so a good question diagnostically would be do you Do you love God? And why? If you do, and then how is that love shown in your life? Are you honoring? Just a simple question would be, do you walk with God? Are you honoring God? And as you take the drill and bore further into verse 5, the questions get more specific. And here's the third one. Do you love God? Do you honor God? Here's the third question. Do you obey? Do you obey God? You'll see it in uh, verse 5. You'll see it a couple of times, actually. It may come off as observe or to keep. Uh, you'll find it in your translation. It means to obey. Let me read it to you. Verse 5. <clears throat> Joshua says, Only be very careful to observe. There it is the first time. Observe the commandment and the law that, the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, to observe, to keep. When you read verse 5, you see it pop up. You see it twice there. Be very careful to keep and to observe. What are you observing? God's commandments. We understand that as His Word. Now look, this, this is not just the general tenor of your life. I think there is a good case to be made that the general tenor of your life should be such that you are walking with God. There is evidence they can tell to be around you for some time. It seems like you probably are a Christian. I think attitudinally that's very important. I think that should be who we are. But you need to bore down further. That can't be everything. There must be to it. Is there a genuine is there genuine obedience to God's word? Not just your not just the direction of your life, because you can fake that. A lot of people, a lot of unsaved people are nice. You can be nice. This is not just the general tenor of your life. This is not even just the general direction. This is you actually taking seriously the truths that are found in God's Word, to explore those truths, to, to contemplate those truths, to think about them, to actually obey what does God's Word say. It's Look, it's why we do the things that we do. It's why the pulpit is in the middle here because there's going to be someone stand here and read it and talk about the Bible. It's why we open our service with the Bible. It's why we do our children's ministry like we do. It's why our student ministry is like it is. It's why Wednesday nights when adults come here, we are going to study either the Bible or theology or the history of how those two work together because we put such an emphasis on, on the Bible. I mean, I think this is what Jesus was getting at. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, 47, 8, and 9, but I'll just cut it off at verse 48. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? And he gives the illustration. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and then does them, it's obedience. So you hear the word. And then live it. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and then does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man who's building a house, who dug deep, he laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the streams broke against that house and it could not be shaken because it was so well built. Don't you want a life like that, well-built? It's what obedience to God's Word does. It makes you strong. It, it builds our lives into these, these well-constructed fortresses of affection so that when it comes through, and a lot of you are standing there in the middle of a hurricane that has blown houses down, and once the storm passes, there you are, standing, Look, obedience to God's Word is going to do that in your heart. Obedience to God's Word is not legalism. Obedience to God's Word is the language of crucified love. It's what Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ in me. your, Your faith and your hope, your love in the crucified Messiah... You you joyfully seeking ways in your life to actually obey Him. A right relationship with God, it really is all that matters. And so you wonder, do I have a right relationship with God? Use the diagnostic questions. Do you love God? How do you love Him and why? Do, Do you honor God? Is it evidence that you're walking with God? Do you obey God? When you know the command, do you do the right thing because you love God? Okay, let's keep, just keep pushing down now. Keep pushing down. There's a fourth question that I'd like to put to you. It comes right out of another verb right there in verse 5, number 4. Do you cling, cling to God? What a great word there in verse 5. This translation has it as cling. Yours might be to hold fast or to cleave if you have the King James Let me read the whole verse there, verse 5, and uh, get there to that word, cling. Be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, and to cling to Him. Cling. Various translations have it various ways. It means to stick to, to be close to, to cleave. It shows up early in Genesis chapter 2 when the, the relationship between a man and a woman is described in Genesis 2, 24 when God says that man will leave his father and mother and cleave, be, be joined till he will cling to that woman. It is the, the same word that is used to describe how Ruth, from the story of Ruth and Naomi, how Ruth clings to Naomi. It's the same word described and um, used to describe Solomon. First Kings chapter 11, Solomon on his great fall, he had so much potential, the wisest man in the world. And on his fall, the writer tells us the reason for his downfall is that he was clinging to all those foreign women and their gods. This word cling, this is... Um, this is Psalm 42. This is the deer pant as the deer pants for the water brook. So my soul pants for you. O God. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's the psalmist in Psalm 63. Remember what he says there? Oh God, you are my God earnestly. I seek you. My soul thirst for you. My flesh faints for you because I live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I, I, think we, I think we cling to God four ways primarily. I think you cling to God devotionally. In the morning when you spend time with God and His Word and you're taking your request to God in prayer, or maybe in the evening when you do that, but you are finding time when you have, it's so important to you to be alone with God devotionally we cling to God I think we cling to God doctrinally what I mean is that you are developing these clear biblical convictional Christ saturated things that you will not be moved on I think we um, I think we cling to God I'll just use this word drastically what I mean is when it when it's bad When your life is terribly sad or when you're overwhelmed with events, when you have been steeped in depression, we cling. When when you're walking through something terribly painful, we cling. Right now, I mean, just just walked through this weekend, several families, even this very moment, in a crisis. And it's been, as a pastor, to watch Christian people in crisis clinging to God. to to be suffering, but staying in there, holding on to God. I think that I'll I'll steal the word from John Piper, not just devotionally and doctrinally and drastically, but delighting in God. You know what happens to your life? When When you find out that Christ is the center, when He becomes the sum of your joy, When when he becomes that which keeps you able to move forward in life. A a right relationship. And the questions are, do you you love God? If you do, why do you love him and how? Do you you honor God? Are you walking with God? Do Do you cling? Do you cling to God? You take those four and you got obeyed, obeying God and clinging to God, and honoring and loving. And it brings it down to this last one. And I'll just make this the final question before we pray. Do you actually serve God? So, so I'm not sure where I get that. It's one of the commands that Joshua tells the tribes that are going on the other side of the Jordan. They're going to be away from the rest of Israel. And look what he says right there in verse 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to cling to him, and to serve him. And then notice how it's intensified to serve him with all your heart and with all of your soul. Serve. That word serve, it's, it's a pretty plain uh, translation of the word to labor. To work. Truthfully, this, this word is the stuff that life is made of. You get up early and you go to work. Here's the word, serve. Or if you stay home and you have the kids, this is the word, work. If you have an occupation, whatever it is, that, um, if you're a homeschooler or if you're a teacher, if you're in sales, you're a doctor, you're in retirement, Whatever your life is, is made up of, this is the word. Whatever occupies, the, if you're a student at school, whatever occupies the course of your day, here's what I'm asking you to do in light of this. Take that and baptize it. Too often, even as Christian people, we compartmentalize. We say, okay, I'm going to do this, then I'll be able to go and serve the Lord. i I get the work done, I'm going to serve the Lord. I would say, let's not compartmentalize, let's baptize it. To see what God has given you as the God-given means for you to live in the course of your day, to live your life for Christ. So that if you sell pharmaceuticals, you sell insurance, you work on cars, you teach school, you keep kids, you sell auto parts, whatever you do, do that for the glory of God. How do you do it? You are faithful in your fa- it's seen in your faithfulness you're going to do it in your witness it's going to be seen that because you're a follower of jesus it's done with excellence so that everyone knows that christians work differently than other people with excellence you're going to do it with gospel intentionality and gospel investment in relationships maybe you're not able to share the gospel at work you can at least build relationships so that there is trust when you come time to actually share the gospel It might be seen in in your day-to-day joyful suffering under a hardship and yet not being bitter about it because Christ is your center. It might be that you are asked in your job to do something that goes against biblical convictions that you have and yours becomes a righteous example. Do that with joy. It might be that you have a gracious attitude because you've been saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus on the cross and you are able then to actually extend grace to people who have offended and done you wrong. Because for everyone here and with so much going on in life, it is good for us to remember that a right relationship with God is all That really matters. Will you join me as we pray together? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. We'll sing a song in just a moment and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. But as you get your heart right for the Lord's Supper, the five questions should guide us and align our hearts with the Lord Jesus. So here are the questions. Do you love God? Do you honor God? Is it obvious in a walk? You walk with God. Do you obey God or are you living a life of rebellion? Are you now clinging to God? Have you been able to see your life as such that you are serving God? These questions help us see How to be in right relationship with God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace found in Jesus. And I pray that you would draw people to yourself. I I pray that today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that Christ will be honored and our souls ministered to. We thank you for the Lord's Day and the chance to worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?